0: first lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Let us listen that we may hear what God is sharing with us. For you have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading this morning comes from... John's Gospel, the third chapter, let us listen that we may hear what the Lord is sharing with us this day. There was a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. The Word of the Lord. For the last several weeks, we have been considering the subject of prayer. We live in a time when all too often there are cries and pleas that are made in the public for prayers in response to various sorts of tragedies, those that are so awful, and you can name in your own way and mind as well as friends who call upon us to pray for certain circumstances or situations. And so in worship, we're looking at some of the prayers we have in our Christian vocabulary, if you will. The Lord's Prayer and the Serenity Prayer we have considered already. Today, we will look at the prayer of St. Francis, and next week, we will consider the 23rd Psalm as a prayer. The prayer of St. Francis has been important to me for a long time. This coming Friday, Vicky and I will celebrate our wedding anniversary, 38, if you're interested. You can do the math. We used the prayer of St. Francis in our wedding ceremony. We didn't do it just as a, a reading for uh, someone else to read, but In addition to our vows, we recited it to each other as part of of that event. I don't recall what prompted us to include this, but we did, and I'm glad we did. And the prayer of St. Francis has been meaningful to think and, and listen to, for every time I hear it, not only do I hear the words, but I bring back all sorts of memories that go with that. Since... That time, I've learned, as many of you may already know, that this prayer was probably not written by St. Francis. It did not appear until 1912 when it was discovered in France in Latin. It was not translated into English until 1927. It was soon thereafter set to music and has been used in a variety of prayer collections. Mother Teresa incorporates the prayer of St. Francis into her teaching instruction materials for the, for the missionaries of charity as they begin their preparation. Margaret Thatcher quoted the prayer on the occasion of her being elected prime minister uh, in Great Britain in 1979. Archbishop Desmond Tutu quoted the prayer in his acceptance speech of the Nobel Peace Prize in the 1980s. When he was president, Bill Clinton used this prayer when he welcomed Pope John Paul II on one of his visits to the United States. It has been used in a variety of public settings, as well as it is meaningful to any number of us. As I said, it has been used in weddings, but also at funerals and at private prayer ceremonies. The fact that it was not penned by St. Francis, I think, is not a reason to question it or to reject it. The, prayer, the words of this prayer resonate with the writings of St. Francis that we know are his, but more importantly, it speaks to a spirit that many have found to be useful and it resonates both with Scripture and with the historic testimony of the Christian faith. The prayer is built around comparing and contrasting events and circumstances and attributes. It has three sections. First is the prayer of purpose. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And then there is the prayer for service. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much be fulfilled for myself as I might be filled for you. And finally, there is a prayer that calls upon our imagination, that opens us up to God's purpose and to God's service. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. When we hear the word instrument, we often think of a musical instrument. It has been said that the finest musical instrument there is is the human voice. But like any instrument, one has to train to be trained to use their instrument, be it the voice or be it some other wonderful musical instrument. Now admittedly, some of us have better training than others. A while back, I was attending, not here, but in another, another situation. I was leading a, a, a workshop for leaders of, of, a, of a church, and we sang as part of our morning devotion. We sang um, Morning Has Broken, you the, the hymn that you're familiar with. There are three verses to it, and the person leading was a choir member, but she was also a choir director uh, in her previous life. L- <clears throat> Later that day, she came up to me and she said, Joel, I want you to know that by the third verse of singing Morning Has Broken, you are absolutely on pitch. To which I replied, if I were a major league ball player and I could get 33%, that would be a Hall of Fame season. But it's not the same, and you know it. She did offer me voice lessons, and I took them. Our our voices, as well as other musical instruments that you can think of, make sounds. Lots of things make sound. What makes an instrument special is the purpose for which it makes the sound. Is it a ceremonial purpose? Is it to accompany dancing or singing? Is it a solo action or is it part of an ensemble or a larger group? What are the emotions that are touched and raised when this sound is created? Something else that an instrument has is range. Musical instruments are structured around range. Ranges are commonly thought of as soprano, alto, tenor, and bass, and then there are variations on that, the mezzo-soprano and the contralto and the baritone and others that may be out there. That said, these variations within them point to the possibilities of the instrument. But there is no one instrument that can cover the entire range. There is no one voice that can cover all of the ranges of musical, of the musical instrument. Maybe an organ can or some other instrument like that. but. For us, in our human voice, we can't go from all the way to the top to all the way at the bottom. The range there is finite for us, and we have a particular range, a particular way of using our instrument. And in our particularity, we have the ability to be an instrument of God's peace. In… Great Britain, this prayer of St. Francis is often used at what they call the Day of Remembrance, which we think of as, or we may know of as Veterans Day in November. And very often in the translations used there, it is, the first line reads, Lord, make me a channel for your peace. A little bit different than an instrument, but a channel Directs A channel provides focus. A channel allows for the delivery of something. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Be it an instrument or a channel, the prayer identifies what the purpose and the range of God's hope is. Through a series of opposites, the world is defined. Where there is something that is not very good or even awful, let me be part of something better. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Lord, Help me, help us take the things that we encounter in the world that aren't quite so good and be channels, be instruments to make something better. Not by our spirit, not by our will, but by yours. The second part of this prayer ask that we move beyond our own concerns so that we may reach out into the world. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. This prayer asks God to help us Be different than we are. Kind of like those verses from Matthew's gospel. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Many of you have experienced a kind of inversion that happens in the life of faith. Consolation comes not from wanting it, but from offering it to others. Being understood comes not in seeking to attain knowledge, but in living through the circumstances that test us. Being loved comes not simply from finding pleasure, But in sharing sacrifice. Kyle Childress is a Baptist pastor and preacher in Texas. He tells a story that goes something like this There was a young lady, gangly, self conscious teenager, and she was a member of the church where he served. She ran on the track team, she was a member of the track team. One Saturday, they were to have a meet but it had to be canceled because of the weather. So the meet was postponed to the following week. But this young girl went to her coach and, he, and said, I can't be there, coach. You see, the church has a mission trip, and we're going to be taking off. And so I've made a commitment to them that I, so I won't be here. The coach wasted no time in telling her, I don't care what commitment you made to anyone else. You had better be here. She left in tears. The second day, she went back, and she said, Coach, I'm not going to be able to be here because of this mission trip, and I made a promise that I would be there. And the coach replied, You made a promise to this team, so if you intend to be part of this team, you will be here next Saturday. And if you're not going to be here, I want your uniform. She left again in tears. The next day she went back and she handed in her uniform. Kyle Childress says that in the part of the world he's familiar with, there are two possible reactions to this encounter. One is that the parents of the girls on the track team will all get together, and they will decide who's going to go whoop up on the coach, because nobody's going to make their baby girl cry. The other is all the church people in town get together, and they go down to the Board of Education meeting and they demand that there not be any school activities when there are church activities. But neither one of those things happened. In fact, nothing happened. Everybody agreed with Coach. It was sad, but they said they understood. The preacher went on to say, Here was this girl who sided with God and with the church exactly as the grown ups on any other occasion probably would have said that they had taught her. And yet, and yet, O divine master. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. This prayer reminds us that we have a purpose as followers of Jesus Christ. We have a purpose. We have a range of things that we are able to do We have the capacity to do many different things, and sometimes we do things we do not understand. We also live with a paradox of faith and discipleship in Christ. It is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Nicodemus, when he met with Jesus, asked, How? How can we be born again? One of the most powerful tools that we have in our faith is the gift of imagination. If our imaginations are constrained, we are limited in what we can see as possibilities and options that we have being born through the Spirit, is that any more difficult to understand than it is to say in dying we are born to eternal life? Even acts of imagination have cost. To give what we have in order to receive requires that we have to be willing to give something away. It could be money, it could be attitude, it could be time. But we have to give it away. We have to release it. And sometimes we release it without knowing exactly what we're going to get in return. To offer forgiveness to somebody who has hurt us requires that we have to let go of those things that we are holding on to. Even if that person is unaware of their indebtedness to us we still let go, and we still face uncertainty. When I was in seminary, I had a classmate named Tom. I met Tom very early on in my time there. He, was a, he had been there about a year, and he greeted me by saying, Oh, yeah, you're Alvis. You're the guy who has the GED from Auburn. Yeah, right. Needless to say, we didn't get off on the best foot. And we had some other disagreements about various issues of interpretation and how is it that we live the Christian life. But during that first year I was in seminary there in classes with Tom on several occasions, he became ill. And finally, the diagnosis was rendered. He had a virus in his heart, and the only treatment that would be possible that would prolong his life would be a heart transplant. The seminary community had chapel every Friday, every day actually, Tuesday through through Friday. And Friday, we had communion services. And in all of those services after that, in all of our prayers, we prayed for Tom. We prayed for his well-being and for his health and for the medical team and for a cure. But Tom began, as people who have a virus in their heart very often experience, Tom's health began to decline. Those of you who've had a a transplant or who know someone who has know that in order to receive a transplant, your health has to decline so that your place on the donor need list rises. And that's what happened to Tom. His health slowly began to spiral downward. Finally, in the winter, his health was at a very much of a crisis point, and he was admitted into the hospital to wait for a a donor. It was hoped. It was not sure. There was not one immediately available. They did not know, but he went to wait. One night, my phone rang in our apartment, and it was a, a neighbor and a friend, and he said. Several of us are going down to the hospital to visit with Tom's family and to offer our prayers. Would you like to go, Joel? And I said, yes. I had been praying for him in chapel. I had been wanting him to do well. I had been one of the many people who had been lifting him up. And so I said, yes, I would go. And I did. Along with A number of other friends and neighbors and classmates. And when we got there, Tom's wife was glad to see our group and she said, there are too many of you to go back and see Tom. In fact, he can only see one person at a time, but several of you can. I'll go tell him that you're here. And she did. And she came back and called another one of the group members And he went back for a few minutes and then she came back and said, I can only have one more visitor. Joel, Tom wants to see you. Me? Me? So I went back. And we stood in the hospital room of ICU. There was a window to the outside, but it was Late at night, it was cold. We could hear the wind whipping by the window, and we talked. We talked about how he was, about his hopes for a heart so that he could be a a father for his four sons, and so he could be a husband for his wife, and he could be a pastor for a church. And after a while, we prayed, and we prayed that a heart would be found, that it would be possible to have a transplant. It was during that prayer that it hit me. For our prayer to be answered, somebody else had to die. If you are aware of the world of heart transplants, you know that in, in organ plant transplants in general, many of the most likely organ donors are young men in their late teens and 20s. And it hit me that for our prayer to be fulfilled, somebody else would die. And the thought jolted me, but it did not dissuade me. Several days after the visit, word came that Tom had had his transplant. A donor had become available. The operation had been a success, and after a period of recovery, he would be able to return home and then additional rehabilitation possibilities he would return to class he would graduate but sometimes even the best medical advice the best medical treatment does not result in a desired outcome that summer tom was ill again. He had to go back to the hospital. It was not thought to be too serious, but then on a Sunday morning, my phone rang again before I was going to my ministry assignment as a chaplain at a hospital, and it was news that Tom had died. God used Tom as a channel of peace for me, an instrument to open a world. God shared with me through Tom a paradox in faith. Tom opened to me the power of imagination. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Lord, Make us instruments of your peace. Grant that we may not so much receive as we may share. For it is in losing the things that we think are important that we find out what really is. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.